All right, Shmuel say good morning, good morning. Beginning by thanking all of our sponsors to begin to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Shvat. To thank Mrs. Brachus Shimmer for dedicating all the Shimmer and Drushos this month in memory of Avram. Ben Kamen Eliezer Halevi Zichron Levracha to thank Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating Ovish Shimon Drashos this month in the Schuss Rufu Shlimer for Shulamis Bas Susha and to thank to thank our Dafyomi sponsor for today Dr. Gary Goodman Silver Spring to, for dedicating the Shear in honor of the Shear from Yerz Hashem the continuing ta- daily Talmud Torah we will say with that let us begin we have a lot to do today. Baruch Hashem, a lot to do today. So we are picking up in Meretz Hashem. Uh, today's daf is Chavdalit. But you would not know that from where we are beginning. <laughs> so I'll say, but we are picking up in Meretz Hashem on Chav Gimel Amadeis. And we are picking up in Meretz Hashem. Easier to count down from the top. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. 13 lines down from the top. But it goes quickly. Says the Gimara. Amram Nachem Reza. We'll say incredible, incredible Gimara. Amram Nachem Reza Yitzchak. Kidol Laveiro Lishma. Mi mitzvah shalol b'shma. Rabbi Nachman Yitzchak says, an Avera l'shma. Rabbi Nachman, remember again, we spoke about this in yesterday's daf. What's an Avera l'shma? So Rabbi Nachman says, again, it doesn't mean I do an Avera for the sake of doing an Avera because I enjoy it so much. Right? An Avera l'shma means the commission of an Avera for the sake of a mitzvah. So Rabbi Nachman we've seen examples of this already before, right? The daughters of Lot are a paradigmatic example of this. It's now in Yon of the Yoma, Esther. Esther HaMalka. Esther HaMalka is an example ultimately of an Avera Lishma. So you have now, again, don't try this at home, because first of all, Tulsa brings down by Esther HaMalka that the concept of Avera Lishma is often a concept that could only be employed for Hatzalas Yisrael. In other words, you can't, can you imagine? A person says, you know, today, I'm going to do this. I think that this is the best, right? I, I think that mamish, this is the Ratzan Abore, that I go ahead and do this because if, and, and you know, by the way, we're good like this. You could construct a pretty compelling argument why you need to do a particular Avera for a good reason. That's why Tosa seems to say that, no, no, no. This is a din when like, there's an existential threat to Klali Sirel. And therefore, again, you need to engage in an action which would otherwise be prohibited for the sake of Hatzalas Yisrael. And again, if you see, that's the theme. Okay, the daughters of Lot is not Hatzalas Yisrael, it's Hatzalas, or they think Hatzalas humanity, right? Esther HaMalka is Hatzalas Yisrael. So at the end of the day, there is this concept of an Avera Lishma. But the Gemara says, Gidola Avera Lishma, Mi Mitzvah Shalom Lishma. It was so incredible. An Avera Lishma is better than a Mitzvah Shalom Lishma. And I will say, I just want to point out something. We're going to disapprove this statement in just a moment. Rabbi will say, but didn't say the profundity of a statement like that. An Averi Lishma is better than a Mitzvah Shalom Lishma. What's a Mitzvah Shalom Lishma? What's a Mitzvah Shalom Lishma? Right? Just the Mitzvah that you do without what? Without thinking. I will say, I would venture to say that a lot of times our Mitzvahs are Shalom Lishma. Just like, again, I'm just, I'm not thinking about it. Rabbi will say, do you hear what the statement that Rav Nachem by Yitzchak is saying? That the most important life is to have thing in life is to have kavana, kivun, direction. Right? What? What? To, to have thought, to have thought, to be passionate about something, to be directed about something. Don't just coast through life. Don't, don't just go. Don't just move. Don't just put on the autopilot. It is so much better. What he seems to be saying is it's so much better to do a targeted avera for the sake of some good than just to do amorphous mitzvos with absolutely not thinking about anything. Now, like I said, we're going to disprove this statement in just a moment, 
But the fact that it's even on paper, right? The fact that it's even eternal because it's included in Shas is such an incredible idea. Rachmana libaboi. What the Kaddish Baruch Hu wants at the end of the day is, come on, put passion into it. Put excitement into it. Whatever you're going to do, commit yourself to it. Be involved. Don't coast through life. It's so easy. And most of us do it over 120 years. You could set cruise control, right? Started at birth, ended at the grave. By the way, the great part about that cruise control is it'll get you from point A to point B. It will get you from cradle to the grave. That's the way it works. But Lamaisa, you miss out on leading and living an impactful life all the way through. Such an incredible yisod. So the Gemara goes back to the Gemara says, well, one second. Was that Amrav, Amrav? Is that true? Vamarav, Vamarav, Yehuda, Amrav, Li'olim Yasok, Adi B'Torah, Mitzos, Afilu Shalom Lishman. I once and most we have a principle. What's the principle? Better for a person to learn Torah Shalom Lishma, right? Then not to go ahead, not to do it at all. Shemitok Shalom Lishman, Balishman. Both say again. So it seems to be that Ramnach Rabbi Yitzchak is really knocking a mitzvah Shalom Lishma. But one second says the Gemara. Okay, everyone will agree that a mitzvah shalom d'shma, right? a mitzvah without kavanah, a mitzvah not for a directed purpose, it's not great, it's not great, but it's certainly not in the same category as an Avera, right? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, halach halamaysa, shalom d'shma is good. Why? Why? Because ultimately shalom d'shma, bal d'shma. As well say, this is also an incredible, incredible idea, which is, as much as we speak about kavanah, leading a targeted life, the most important thing to do is do, is do. Don't wait for the right kavanas in order to engage in dynamic activity. Do what you need to do. Do what you need, do what you need to be that I, but it's without kavanah, it's without feeling, it's without this. Fine, fine. Do engage, we spoke about this, that ultimately the way I feel and the way that I think is often shaped by the way that I act. So sometimes in life you have to engage in activity, that's the way it works. But the good news is, with enough with enough behavioral habit, ultimately, again, the lishma, the kavana, will the Mirat Hashem come. So how can you say that Avera, that Navera lishma is greater than a mitzvah shalol lishma? That seems to be a bit dramatic. Ella, ema ki mitzvah shalol lishma. Rather, I will say what it means is like this, that at the end of the day, an Avera lishma is equivalent to a mitzvah shalol lishma. Okay, so that, in other words, that, that, that's an interesting equation, right? And Avera Lishma, and Avera that is done for the sake of a mitzvah, ultimately, again, is, so to speak, I guess, hashkafically equivalent to a mitzvah shalom Lishma, to a mitzvah that's done without the right kavanah. The chsev, the Pasuk says, and I will say, so the, the idea, the takeaway from this, the takeaway from this is that at the end of the day, an Avera Lishma is like a mitzvah. Now, what kind of mitzvah is it like? Is it like a mitzvah shalol lishma? Is it greater than a mitzvah shalol lishma? So that we see a subject to some level of dispute. The Gemara is going to prove this idea now that an avera lishma is as great as a mitzvah. So watch this. The Gemara says, "Dixiv tevorach minoshim yoel eishas chivrakeni minoshim ba'ohel tevorach." So I'll say the pasuk says. The pasuk says over here in. In Shoftim, remember again, so Yael, Yael killed Sisra. She killed Sisra, right? We know again, this is the, this is the Haftorah on Rosh Hashanah. Vatiyavev aim Sisra. Actually, the Gemara Masechus Rosh Hashanah learns out many of the halachos of the concept of a trua, the trua being a Yevava, right? Ultimately, again, so that's how we, that's how we translate trua as a Yevava. What's a Yevava? Vatiyavev aim Sisra. So here, here, Devorah, 
the Shofetes and the Nevi'ah is extolling, is extolling Ya'el. And it says, Ya'el, Tevorach, Ya'el, Minashim, Ya'el, Eishas, Chever So amongst all women, Ya'el, the wife of Chever should be blessed, Minashim Ba'ohel. She's even blessed from amongst the women of the tent. Who are the women of the tent? Man, Nashim Ba'ohel, Sara, Rivka, Rachel, Vileya. Wow. So Devorah, Devorah praises Ya'el, and she says that, Ya'el, you have a place in Klal Yisrael amongst the women of the tent. Right? Who are the women of the tent? The Imos. So she compares Ya'el to the Imos. Now, I'm now, watch this. I'm when, when Sisra, when Sisra hid in Ya'el's tent, she had relations with him seven times. Seven times. Shene'emar, bein ragleha kara nafal shachav. So what do you see from here? Now this was an Aver al-Shema. So what the idea over here is that Gemara learns that from the, from the verbs employed in the Pasuk, that ultimately, again, each of them is a reference to an act of relations. Why did Yael have relations with Sisra seven times? Ultimately, so that he would, he would be exhausted, that he would be fatigued. And once he, was, once he was sleeping, that's when she killed him. She drove a peg into his head, thereby cementing the victory of Klav Yisrael. But she had relations with him. She had relations with him. So I'll say, so what do you see from here? We call this act of relations an Avera Lishma. She did it for Atzalah Sisrael. And therefore, again, when she is praised, she is praised amongst, together with the Imos. I have a Hakam as Hanya, maybe Ila delay. But one second, I'll say, in this case, even if you want to claim that it was an Avera Lishma, didn't she have pleasure from the act of relations? In other words, she initiated the act of relations with him. It's not like Chasashon that, that, that he abused her, took advantage of her. She initiated. So didn't she have pleasure from this act as well? And wouldn't that make it a more severe act? Was a very, a very profound idea. The Gemara says, the Gemara says, any, any tova, any good of the Sadiqim, of the Risham, excuse me, is only, in other words, any benefit that comes from Rishayim is always considered to be something negative for Tzadikim. Kashmaru tells Lavan, when Lavan is chasing after Yaakov, be careful, Lavan, do not speak with Yaakov anything good or anything bad. I understand why Lavan can't say something bad to Yaakov Shakri, that makes sense. Why can't Lavan say something nice to Yaakov? He rather, what do you see from here? You see that even the good of the Rasha is considered to be something negative by the Tzadikim. Indeed, Shmamina. Indeed, Rabbi say ultimately again, see that this is the case. Rabbi say, so therefore, the Gemara leaves off. I was like, I just will point out, we don't have time to get into it today, but Tosus Vaham Mishanya actually makes reference to Esther HaMalka as well in the context of this discussion. Maybe if we have a little bit of time left over today, then, because uh, it's, it's today's bath is a little bit shorter, then Amir Tashem will come back and we'll, why, why is everybody smiling when I say that? <laughs> so, say, so then well, Amir Tashem will come back and we'll, uh, we'll take a look at it. So we'll say, so again, what I want to point out, and this closes out the sugya over here of Avera Lishma. So we'll say, very, very profound idea. And of course, what's the... T- what's, We'll say, what's the takeaway message for us of an Avey Lishma? Think about it just a moment, right? So the Gemara tells us that Avey Lishma essentially is like a mitzvah. All right, is it as great as a mitzvah shalom Lishma, greater than a mitzvah shalom Lishma? We'll say, so for, for me, for me and you, right? So you and I, we're, we're, not, we're not committing Averos Lishma. That, that's, not, that, that's, that's not what we're doing. So what do I take from a Gemara like this? So I'll say, I think what we take is that sometimes in our Avodas Hashem, we have to do things which are uncomfortable for us. 
which sometimes growth in life requires you to leave your comfort zone. The truth is, the first person who taught us this was Yaakov Avinu. Right? Yaakov Avinu, in order to receive the brachos from his father, which were rightfully his, had to do something that he was incredibly uncomfortable with. Right? Now, granted, in Yaakov Avinu's case, it was his mother who was telling him what he had to do. But Lamaisa, sometimes growth requires me to do things with which I am uncomfortable. And I don't mean uncomfortable like illegal or uncomfortable illicit. But often, again, accomplishment of great things in life requires me. It, it would be wonderful to always live in your comfort zone. We all have that, right? We all have that sweet spot in life. We're like, I'm comfortable doing this. I'm comfortable living like this. I'm comfortable accomplishing like this. And sometimes in life, in order to do something great, you have to leave that comfort zone. Sometimes the Avera Lishma means pushing yourself into an area of discomfort because you know that this is necessary for your complete self-actualization. That's the Musr skill of an Avera Lishma. It will say, let's go weiter. Gufa. The Olam Yasuk, Adam Vitar Mitzvahs, Afilu Shloshman. It will say, by the way, it's incredible. So we, a person should go ahead and learn Torah Shloshman. This is what we just quoted before. The quote price we just quoted before. Ideally, a person should go ahead and learn Torah. Now, I will say, Yasuk Vitar Mitzvahs means learn Torah, Engage in mitzvahs, afilu shalol lishman, even not for the right reasons. Now, as I will say, what's the right reason to learn Torah? What's the right reason to do mitzvahs? Because ultimately, again, I want to create a relationship with Hashem. But the truth is, we often learn Torah and mitzvahs and do mitzvahs for all kinds of reasons. I want schar, I want reward, like we saw in the Ramchal, I want to avoid punishment, maybe even I want covet, right? All different kinds of things. And the Gemara says, okay, that's all right. Better to do the right thing. Here's the, here's the klal. Better to do the right thing for the wrong reason than not to do the right thing at all. That's, that's better to go ahead. So, so better to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Because once you're habituated, once, once you're the kind of person who does the right thing, ultimately what? The right reasons and the right kavanas will come. So the Gemara says, listen to this. This is crazy. Because of the 42 kavanas that Balak Offered up to Akadosh Baruch Hu, Yatsat Mimenu Rus. I will say, listen to how wild this is. Balak, the king of Moab, offered up 42 karbanos. I will say, why did Balak, the king of Moab, offer up 42 karbanos to Hashem? Why? Why? Because he wanted a curse, Klal Yisrael. Remember again, this is story with Bilam, right? He offered up 42 karbanos because he was setting the stage to curse Cloud Yisrael by getting HaKadosh Baruch Hu to agree to curse Cloud Yisrael. So Balak didn't offer up Karbanos for the right reasons. He offered up Karbanos for all the wrong reasons. Yet, Rabbi because of that sacrificial act of Balak, he was Zoha to have a granddaughter. And who was that granddaughter? Rus. Rus. And Rabbi who is Rus? Rus is essentially the mother of the Messianic line. Rabbi say, isn't that incredible to think about? The mother of the Messianic line comes from a mitzvah shalol lishma. I will say, by the way, it's even worse than a mitzvah shalol right? What Balak did is not even a mitzvah shalol lishma. What is it? It's like, I don't even know what you call it. He was trying to curse Klal Yisrael. But at the end of the day, he did something good. He offered up Kabbalah to HaKadosh Baruch So the mother of the Messianic line comes from what we'll call a mitzvah shalol lishma. Which I will say, just tells you the power of our mitzvahs. We don't even recognize the power we have on a daily basis to affect change. Each and every day, everything we do, big and small, generates so many dramatic positive ripple effects. I will say, not true, not true. Balak, Balak, essentially births the messianic line through a mitzvah shalom 
It's incredible. It's incredible. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, and Rabbi Yossi Rechanina says that Rus was the granddaughter of Eglon, the king of Moab. Now we'll say, now what does that have to do with anything? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Eglon was also the one when, when he heard about, when somebody came to him in the name, the Navi came to him in the name of Hashem, so Eglon stood up. He stood up. So he demonstrated cover to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The fact that he demonstrated cover to HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him a granddaughter. So I said, who, who, who does Rus? Rus has a pretty impressive Moabite pedigree, right? In other words, from Eglon, from Balak, she is descendant of royalty, Gentile royalty, but royalty nevertheless. And Halakha Lamaisa, the reason why her ancestors were privileged to birth a woman like her was because of their mitzvot shalom l'shma. Incredible. How do we know that Lechadish Baruch Hu doesn't withhold reward even for the smallest of positive acts? Small positive acts. It was even the positive act of just proper speech. How do I know that even for the even for even for sicha noah for positive nice speech, Hakadosh Baruch Hu doesn't withhold reward? Remember back to Lot and his daughters. The oldest daughter names her son Moab. What's the what's the meaning of Moab? Pretty self-explanatory. Moab. This is from my father. And I will say. That's pretty, like, intense, right? <laughs> pretty intense to wear that on your sleeve, right? And to identify your child as the offspring of an act of incest. So the Gemara says, because there was a certain lack, Nasser, because it was a profound lack of refinement, therefore, although Klaal Yisrael is not permitted to go to war with Moab, we are permitted to go ahead and be a bit aggressive with Moab. Vilut Seira, Dikarise Ben Ami. Yet I will say, the younger daughter, what does she name her son? She names her son Amon. Now I will say, Amon is a contraction of Ben-Ami, the son of my nation. A much more veiled reference to the paternity of her child. Much more tsanua, much more modest, and much more refined. As a result, the Torah says, says, When it comes to Amon, Rabbi will say, not only can we not do battle with them, but what? We can't go ahead and be aggressive with them as well. So I will say, so why does Claudius have to exhibit kinder treatment to Amon than to Moab? It's ultimately a reward to the younger sister for using a more refined speech when naming her child than her older sister did. So the point I will say is that HaKadosh Baruch does not withhold reward for anything. And I will say, by the way, I just want to point out, it's incredible because this is like the opposite end. We learned in the Ramchal, Yirasachet, about that there's an onesh, there's a punishment for every single negative thing that we do. So on the flip side, on the positive side, there's also schar, there's also reward for every single positive thing that we do, even the slightest of the slightest. There's always going to be schar, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu never withholds that schar. Even the daughters of Lot, the younger one gets greater schar than the older one because she chose to exhibit refined speech. Incredible. The Olam was incredible. Yaktim Adam Lidvar Mitzvah. So we'll say, this, this is wild. So a person should always run to do a mitzvah. A person should always run to do a mitzvah. Mitzvah means, I will say, don't, don't walk lethargically or tiredly or slowly to do a mitzvah. Yaktim means, go quickly. Go quickly. Zrizos to do a mitzvah. Why? I will say, it's interesting. Because beforehand, what we just did is, we just said that the older daughter of Lot lacked a certain refinement and modesty 
in the way as a as manifest in the way that she named her child Moab. She, told, she broadcasted to the world, "This kid is from my father." Yet Chazal see that the older daughter was greater than the younger one in one respect, which was that the older daughter acted first. She acted first in the schus of the fact the fact that the older daughter acted before the younger daughter. Type of Chavdalid zachsa the kadma arba doros be malchus. The offspring of the older daughter produced Jewish monarchy four generations earlier than the offspring of the younger daughter. So we'll see if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Rashi Rashi says, Oved Yishai David Shlomo. The Ilutsira La Asabi Sa Adrichavam Tahavaminaamahamon. So I will say ultimately again, the older daughter, the older daughter ultimately again is responsible for is responsible for us. Who ultimately has Ove Yishai David Shlomo four generations of Malchus. The younger daughter, generations later, has a, 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 a granddaughter by the name of Nama Haamonis. Nama Haamonis marries Shlomo Hamelech, and together they have a son Rechavam, who inherits the monarchy from Shlomo. Unfortunately, it's under Rechavam that the kingdom splits. But ultimately, again, she, so what is what is the Gemara attribute the fact that monarchy came from the older daughter earlier in the schus of her zvizos? And the of her zvizos. So, say, so it's, just, it's just incredible, by the way, how we're learning all of these halachas from an act of incest. Right? All of these concepts. So in other words, again, it wasn't a very lishma, but you see how the older daughter ultimately, again, was determined to do what she thought needed to get done in what she perceived to be these dire circumstances. And in the schos of hers, Rizos, ultimately, again, she is zochet to produce four generations of monarchy earlier than her younger sister. We'll say, we'll just point out how fascinating it is that now kind of when you look at the story of Jewish monarchy, so we'll say, look where monarchy comes from. Look where monarchy comes from. Where does it come from? On one side of the equation, it comes from Tamar and Yehuda, right? Tamar and Yehuda. And on the other side, where does it come from? Right? So Lot and his daughters. It's just, it's just absolutely fascinating. And again, I, I quoted this earlier. This Tamaral brings down that, that it's, 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 it's by design. It's by design because stories like this allow the monarchy to remain humble. Right, the whole the whole danger of monarchy is gaiva. The fact that monarchy comes from these types of origins allows the monarch ultimately again to remain humble despite all of his monarchical accomplishments. Kelabosai, that ends the Agarata. Not that ends, pauses the Agarata for now. Bosai Mishnah. Mishnah. Haisha Shinajra Benazir, Verfisha Bantas. We've actually seen this case already. A very a really fascinating case. Here we go. So Aisha Shinajra Benazir. So a woman took on Ned and Azira. So I'll say, here we go. So same case, Rachel's married to Ruvain. Rachel becomes an Azira. So what did Rachel do? Rachel's preparing for the concluding sacrifices. Now I'll say, remember, again, we'll, we'll get into more specificity, but we know that at the conclusion of a Ned and Aziros, the Nazir is offering a Chatos, an Ola, and a Shlomim. We're also going to see there's a whole bunch of loaves of bread that are also offered as part of the concluding rituals, sacrificial ritual. We'll get to that. So here's the case. Bless you. Rachel became an Azira. What did she do in preparation for the conclusion of her Nedjan Aziros? She separates out her animals, right? Ready to bring her kabados. Now what happened? So we'll say after she separated out the animals, what happened? Her husband heard about the Nedjan Aziros. What does Ruvain do on the day that he hears about the Nedjan Aziros? He's made for it. He's made for it. Fine. No, we'll say, that, that, that's fine. That's his right. What's going to be the Shiloh? What do we do with the animals? 
What do we do with the animals which have been designated ultimately as Kamas? So, so we had this, we recorded this Mishnah two days ago. So what, what, what's the halacha? Im if the animal belonged to the husband, in other words, if it's the husband's animal, no problem, it just goes back to the flock. Just going, I will say, so again, means it's returned to the flock and can graze as usual. That's it. That's it. In other words, no sanctity attached to the animal. But however, if the behemoth is hers, we'll discuss exactly what it means the behemoth is hers. Hachatos tomos, the chatos animal, has to be left to die. Va'ola tikrav ola. The ola animal should be offered up as an ola, as in the dava. Right? Shlamim tikrav shlamim. The shlamim animal should be offered up as a shlamim, also on a dava. V'nechalim liyom echad. They can be eaten for one day. And I will say eaten for one day, that's the normal window for, for the karbanos of a nazir. V'enon tu'unin lechem. But I will say there are no accompanying loaves that are brought. So we'll discuss, again, we haven't discussed this at all, but there are loaves that are brought together with, including Karbanos Avanazir. But you don't bring the loaves. So we'll say, now, Asavis, why don't I bring the loaves? Why don't I bring the loaves? Why not? Because are these Karbanos Avanazir that are being offered up? No. What's being offered up over here? Nidavos. Nidavos. Therefore, the Gemara says, how you love? So we'll say, so again, let's pause here for just a moment. Right? Review the case. Rachel said, Hareini Nizira. No problem. She's going through her nether naziros. Her husband doesn't know. Obviously, they're not a couple that shares everything. Right? So, right? Husband doesn't know. So, what does she do? Now she's coming to the end. She separates out her karbanos. Three animals. Chatos, Ola, Shlamim. Ruvain finds out. Ruvain says, nope, not going to have it. Annuls the nether. Now the shaila is, what do we do with the animals? So, the Mishnah says, it depends. What does it depend on? If they're his animals that she used, no problem. No sanctity there. Put them right back with the rest of the flock, no problem. If they're her animals, then they do have sanctity. So what do I do? Then the chatos left to die. We'll talk about that. Chatos left to die. The ola is offered up as an ola. But I will say, what type of ola? An adava. Remember again, anyone could come to the Beis HaMikdash and offer up a carbon adava, a voluntary offering of an ola. So we'll offer up this ola as a voluntary offering. Shlamim, same thing. We'll offer it up as an adava, a voluntary offering. However... There are no accompanying loaves, which of course, again, because it's not the carbon of a nausea, it's just in a dava. Okay, fine. What happened if hayula, hayula most? So we'll say, what happens if instead of separating out animals, what did she do? She set aside money. She set aside money for the purchase of carbonos. So now again, we'll say, same case. Rachel said, right? So she separated out money for the concluding, for the concluding carbonos. Her husband hears about her nether, and what does he do? He annuls it. So now the shayla is, what do we do with the money? So watch this. So Ayelamos, Stumin Yiplul in the Dava. So we'll say, Halo Chalamaisa, if all she had was like a pile of money, right? If all she had was just a, 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 an unspecified pile of money. In other words, there was a pile of money, but it wasn't that like, you know, $100 is for the Ola, and or $632, right? right? $100 is for the Ola, right? All right, $100 is for the Shlamim. Or this, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't like any of that. In other words, she just had a pile of money in it. And that's it. And that's it. So, but it wasn't defined. Then ultimately, Yiplu Nadava, that entire pile of money, could be used to purchase Karbanos Nadava, voluntary offerings. Maos Mifurashin. I will say, however, what happens in the pile of money if she had identified, you know, X amount of money for a chatos, X amount of money for an ola, X amount of money for a shlom. In that case, I will say, what do we do? When it comes to the chatos money, yelchu liyam hamelach. 
When it comes to the Khatas money, what does she do? She takes it and she throws it into the Dead Sea. So we'll say, this, this is the theme we have over and over again, that by a Khatas, well, we'll see, okay, we'll see. Khatas, she takes the money, throws it into the Dead Sea. So you can't get any Hanah from that money. But if you did get hung from that money, you are not, you are not in violation of Mi'ilah. Remember again, what's Mi'ilah? <clears throat> Mi'ilah is mundane use of consecrated items. Tame Ola, what do you do with the Ola money? Yaviyu Ola. Ultimately, again, I will say you should use the Ola money to purchase an Ola, purchase an Ola for a Nadava. And ultimately, again, if you do misuse that money, you are subject to Mi'ilah. Tame Shlamim, we will say, what do you do with the Shlamim money? Yaviyu Shlamim. Ultimately, use the money to purchase a shlamim. And I will say, all these kabanos are consumed for one day, and there's absolutely no need to bring the loaves of bread for, for the carbon. Good. So I will say, that's our Mishnah. Let's analyze this a little bit. Mantana de balo mishtabla. So I will say, so let's start with case number one. Case number one is where Rachel said, Harini Nazira. Harini Nazira. And I will say, okay, she's going through an Ezra Then what? Step two. That's step one. What's step two? Step two, she separated out animals for her karbanos. I will say, now in this, in this case, she used her husband's animals for karbanos. Step three, what happens? Husband hears about it. What does he do? He annuls the nether. He's made for it. So I will say, so now the Mishnah says, so what's the status of the animals? The status of the animals? Chulim. Chulim, they just go back to, they just go back to, go back to the herd. And that's it. There's nothing more to talk about. So this sparks a very interesting discussion, which is the fact that if she uses his animals seems to indicate to us that a husband has absolutely no obligation to provide for his wife's sacrificial needs. So who is the Tana that holds that a husband is not obligated to furnish his wife with any necessary kabbalah? So I will say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Man Tana Sorry, who is the Tana who holds that he's not responsible for her karbanos? So man hu Tana ditani dekasavar shem haisa behemeshalo lo chayel alei kedusha klal. Because I will say, the whole idea of the Mishnah is that if she uses his animal, no sacrificial kedusha devolves upon that animal. Now watch this. The way you think Mars is saying the mission is the following way. That when a woman comes along, when a woman comes along and she's in a zero, and she separates out his carbonos, his, his animals for a carbon, and then he says, he's made for her nether. Shabbos say essentially, there's no sanctity upon those animals. Why is no sanctity upon those animals? Because ultimately, she was maktish something which does not belong to her. Well, so in other words, if I go over to you, right, and I take your watch, and I say, you know what? I'm feeling very from today. I'm going to be maktish your watch to the base Amikdash. What's the status of that? I will say, you can't do that. Ain adam maktish davar she'ino shalom. You cannot be maktish something that is not yours. Say, so Rabbi, who is the Tanakh who holds that essentially a wife doesn't have the ability to be maktish her husband's property, which is another way of saying a husband has absolutely no obligation to provide his wife with her sacrificial needs? Who is that Tanakh? Because if you think it would be Rabbi Huda, why would, just because he annuls the nether, the animal should still retain its sanctity? Why? Because what's the Rabbi Huda holds? It's very interesting. We're going to see this. Rabbi Huda holds that a husband is obligated 
to provide for his wife's sacrificial needs. You also hear it is Disanya. This is incredible. Disanya, Biudomer. Adam may be carbon ashral ishto. Vechein carbon osar shi chayeves. Shabbos, listen to this. Rabbi Huda holds that in general, if a married woman has to bring a carbon, so we'll say there are certain carbonos which depend on your financial financial health or your financial state. Right? If you're wealthy, if you're poor, the halacha is even if the wife herself doesn't have money, but the husband does have money, a husband is obligated to provide a rich man's carbon for his wife's sacrificial needs. Not only that, says Rabbi Huda, but, but what else? So the Gemara says, Rabbi Huda, And I will say, anytime a wife becomes chayeves to bring a carbon in the course of marriage, a husband is obligated to supply that carbon. So I will say, according to Rabbi Huda, this is a tonight suva. Fascinating. This is one of the conditions of the ksuva. That Allah said that a husband agrees to provide his wife with all of her sacrificial needs. But isn't that incredible? It's a tnai ksuva. It was actually written into the ksuva. Any obligations that you have, I hereby take upon myself. So Yehuda holds that a husband is obligated to take care of his wife's sacrificial needs. So Rava Amr, so we'll say, the Rabbanon, on the other hand, hold, not true. Not true. It's not, it's not a tonic suva. Husband has no such obligation. So I will say it would appear that the author of our Mishnah, who holds that once the husband is made for her neder, if she had set aside the husband's animals, that those animals go back to becoming chulin, that sounds like the position of the Rabbanon, who hold that a husband has no obligation to take care of his wife's sacrificial needs. Rav and Rav says, not necessarily. What does Rabbi Huda hold that a husband is obligated to take care of his wife's sacrificial needs when? When? When she's liable to something. Rabbi say in this case, in the Mishnah, is she liable to anything? No. Why not? He annulled her nether. So Rabbi say, in other words, it could even be Rabbi Huda. Even Rabbi Huda holds, the only time he's obligated is mamish when she is obligated. But here, she's not obligated because he was made for the nether. Ikadamri was an alternate version of this. Alternate version. Ikadamri. Man Tana. Who is the Tana of our Mishnah? Am Rav Chista Rav Yehudahi. It's Rav Yehuda. Bechim Meshabit La. Bemilsa De Tzvicha La. Bemilsa De Lo Tzvicha La. Lo. But even Rav Yehuda holds that when is a husband obligated to provide for his wife's sacrificial needs? Only when? When she's actually obligated to carbon. But in this case, he was made for the nether. Therefore, what? She is not obligated in a carbon. The irabanon, because if it was the rabbanon, lo mishabit lo klal. Ultimately, again, he's not obligated to her at all. So I will say, so just as an aside, a fascinating machlokes is a husband obligated, as part of tonight's suva, is a husband obligated to provide his wife with her carbonos over the course of the marriage. Machlokes, Rabbanon, says yes, Rabbanon say no. So who's the author of our Mishnah? We've established this. Anyone can be the author of our Mishnah. Because in our Mishnah, at the end of the day, the reason why if she designated his animals, they go back to Hulin is because there's no obligation. Why is there no obligation? Why is there no obligation? Because he annulled her nether. So therefore, there's no sacrifice. So everyone will agree that Allah said in that case, his animals go back to being regular Hulin animals. I ask the Gemara, let me ask you this. So I will say, what would be a case? What would be a case where he would be obligated so, okay, going the acne law. So, I'll we'll say a case could be, for example, 
where he went ahead and he conferred ownership. He was makne, an animal to her. Nakne to her. Kegon, da'aknila, excuse me, v'kevan da'aknila, hava denafsheh, denafsheh. And once he's makne to her, it becomes her animal herself, right? Her own animal. Amad Be'ezabal say, Rava Amar Rava says, Afilutim Rabbanon, ki makneila nami b'melosah d'tzrichala, b'melosah d'lotzrichala lo makne. Rabbanon say, it could even be in a case where he's being makne her the animal. When is he makne her the animal? For a situation in which she needs it for a carbon. Rabbanon say, in this case over here, does she need a carbon? The answer is, no. Why not? Because Allah said he was made for the nether. Okay. So that's Kavaita. So I'll say, so now, now we've squared away. So just aside, I will say, it's always interesting, by the way, to kind of keep track. Because part of the exciting, part of the exciting thing of learning Shas is, you know, he's doing a sugya, and the sugya will bring in some, what, what appears like a, another, it's a related nugget, but it's just a, such a fascinating idea. So here we see Abbas, we're just exposed to this new idea. Does a husband have an obligation to provide his wife's carbonos over the course of their marriage? I will say, by the way, that's a big thing. That's a really big thing. Because what's the thing about it, just more, we're not accustomed to this. I often think about this. One of the things, I think about Mashiach a lot, but one of the things that is going to be so interesting when Mashiach comes to say is, whether we recognize it or not, often we do things that would generate a carbon chatos. Right? So I will say, a person flicks a light switch on Shabbos. Okay, without getting into it, right? Well, electricity, was just a bepashtos, that generates a carbon chatos. Right? So I will say, so like, it's been, I think a lot of the things that we do accidentally, I'm talking about over here, right? Accidentally, you know, when the Beis is here, that's carbonic liabilities, which I will say, by the way, you see, what's the catalyst of the Beis When you know that you have carbonic liability, I will say, you know what happens? You know what, hap- what happens? So vigilant. Right? So I will say, right? Can you imagine if you know that flicker the light switch is $632? I will say, you know, I guarantee you, there's no accidental light switches. It's, it's incredible. Right? It, it, but, 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 that, but, but if you think about that, that is the, that is, the beauty of the Beis HaMikdash is not simply that it's a beautiful place to go. And it's such a really important. The Beis HaMikdash changes the way you think. The Beis HaMikdash changes the way you approach life. The Beis HaMikdash changes the way you behave. It changes everything. Because now suddenly, there's a heightened sense of awareness. So therefore, the question of whether or not the husband is responsible for his wife's carbonic liability, it's a pretty big thing. It's a pretty big thing. So fundamental, Rabbi Huda says, yes, he is. Rabbanan say, no, he's not. But Baron Rabbanan said, what we have is, Kistin, one of the Mishnah is now locked, locked in. So Rachel says, her name is Yira, separates out her Kabanos from his animals. Ruben hears about it. He says, he's made for it. What's Talachal? What's Talachal? Animals go back to the flock, total chulin, and now we've established everyone agrees with that. Next case. Next case. So the Gemara says, so we'll see now, second case in the Mishnah was, same case, Rachel says, I am in Azira. Then what happens? She separates out animals. But whose animals? Whose animals? Her animals. So she separates out from her own animals, a chatos, an asham, and an ola. Sorry, a chatos, a shlamim, and an ola, not an asham. Chatos, shlamim, and an ola. So we'll say, so now what happens? So now what happens? So now the Mishnah said, and now same thing. Ruven hears about the nether. He's made for the nether. So what has to happen? The chatos is left to die. Shlamim is offered up as an adava. And Ola is offered up as an adava. So it says the Gemara, he minala. I'll say, by the way, from where does Rachel have her own animals? After all, we learned, ha'amrit, ma'ashekansi isha kanabayla. 
What's the general principle that whatever a woman acquires, her husband acquires? So how does she have independently owned animals? Shemekamtsasa said, this is very interesting. Now, what does this mean? Shemekamtsasa so said, a woman receives a certain amount of mezonos, right? And a mezonos, a mezonos allotment. So what did Rachel do? Rachel is a very, uh, what's the word? Frugal. Frugal, right? Frugal lady. So what does she do? She doesn't use up all of her mezonos. So instead, she, whatever she uses, she uses. She sells off the rest. So she's establishing for herself a little bit of a, a, little bit of a side account. Right? And from her side account is what she goes ahead and uses to purchase all of her animals. Another possibility, someone gave her, someone gave her property. Right? And I will say, now this is actually interesting. So a person could give a married woman property and say to her, this is yours with what? On the condition that your husband has no rights in this. And such a gift actually works. Okay, so whatever the Metzias is, I will say, whatever the Metzias is, so we can establish a case where she has independently owned. Also, by the way, there's also another way, there's also another she could do it, which is how? Right? So dowry. Right? The problem, why doesn't the Gemara give that answer? Because remember again, with dowry, as much as she owns title, she doesn't have usufruct, right? Is that the legal term? Right? She, she doesn't have usage, right? She doesn't have payros. So what's interesting is she owns title, but she would not have the right to designate those animals as carbonos because her husband has usage. So that's why, again, you can, as I was saying, the notion of a woman use, uh, owning something independent of her husband is not a chiddush at all, right? There's many cases you could construct. What we're looking to see is a case where she not only has title, but has the ability to actually designate it as a carbon. So, okay, one of two possibilities. Either possibility A is halach ala right? She, she was frugal, and she had a side account, used money that was given to her to buy something, or halach ala somebody gave it to her on the condition that her husband has no rights. Ha'ola tikrav ola, v'ashlamim tikrav, so now again, what's the halach in that case? The chatos animal, left to die, the ola offered up as in a dava, shlamim offered up as in a dava, omel shmola bar'ihi, so shmol said to avua bar'ihi, listen to this, lo teisiv al karech, do not sit down, ad amris li hadamilsa, Explain to me the following case. Now, I'll say, now if you remember again, the Mishnah said, the Mishnah said, in all of these cases, so I'll say, let's play out this case, right? So Rachel Salarini Nazira, she separated out her own animals for a chatas, for an ola, for a shlamim. What happens? Husband now is made for the nether. What's the halacha? Chatas, tamos. Left to die. Ola, offered up as an adava. Shlamim, offered up as an adava. What did the Mishnah say? but she does not bring the loaves which normally accompany the carbon of a Nazir. So now, Shmuel said to Avua Bar'i, don't sit down until you explain to me the following thing. Until you explain to me the following thing. So I will say this idea of carbonos that don't require lechem. Tell me about the cases of carbonos that do not require accompanying bread offerings. Ve'iluhein, arba. Right, Arba ilim shenatulin lechem. We'll say there are four kabanos, four little four rams that do not require lechem. Shalov shalom, the case of his, the case of hers. Shalachra misa, the case of after death. Ushalachra kapara, and the case ultimately again of after kapara. Now we'll say these are four cases. We're going to define. We're going to focus on the first two of them. Shalom had amron. So we'll say the case of Shalom is the one we just said. What's the case of Shalom? That's the second case in our Mishnah where she separated out her own animals. Then the husband was made for the nether. Dalacha is, Chatas dies, Ola is offered up as an adava, Shlomim is offered up as an adava, but without any accompanying loaves. What's the case of Shalom? This is not Haish Madras Pinobanazir. Shalom said, This is a very interesting case. 
a father, a father can make his son, this is obviously about a son who is a katan, can make his son a nazir. Can make his son a nazir. That's, we're going we're to see this. Where is this? We're going to see this. Oh, okay, in a couple of days from now. So we'll say, so a father can make his son a nazir. But a, a, a mother cannot make her son a nazir. Okay, so we'll say, now watch this. Gilach, what happens if the son, as a sign of protest, cuts his hair? It's a katan son. Katan son, he decides, right? To say, he decides, now it's the act of rebellion. The kid doesn't want to be a nazir. Right, so what does he do? He cuts his hair. Shabbos is interesting. Or relatives step into this. It's fascinating. Relatives step in. They're unhappy that the father made the son a nazir. So the relatives give the kid a haircut. Or Micha. Or the son objects. He says, Dad, I don't want to be a nazir. Oh, Shemichu Krovim, or the relatives object. So I will say, all of these cases, essentially what that does is, it annuls the Nedinazir. So again, we're going to see the mechanics of this case. But essentially, what you have over here is a father being madir, his son is a Nazir. And then what happens? If either the son objects, the father, or the, the relatives object, or the son gives himself a haircut, or the relatives gives, give him a haircut, ultimately, again, that brings to a close the Nedinazir. It's pretty interesting. The Gemara says, Hayulamos. So we'll say, so now what happens? What happens if in the interim, right, after the father made a son of the father went ahead and dedicated, right, or set aside money for the concluding Karbanos of Naziros. So what do you do? We'll say, in this case, he didn't separate our animals. In this case, he set aside money. So what do you do? Stumen Yiplunadava. If the money is, is not, not your mark, so it's just a pile of money, then what? And we'll say, they all just go to, towards Karbanos and Nadava. Nadava. Again, if the money was explicitly earmarked, then the money set aside for a should be thrown into the Yamamelach. Money for Ola should be used to bring in Ola and the And that money is subject to Me'ila. Shlamim money, Yaviu Shlamim, should ultimately again be used to be bring Shlamim. And ultimately, again, I will say, all these kabbalas can be consumed for one day. And ultimately, again, they do not bring loaves of bread. So I will say, this is the case of Shalom. This is the case of Shalom. So I will say, remember again, just, just to frame this over here. Shmuel said to Avua Bar'ihi, don't sit down until you tell me the cases of kabbalas that are associated with Nazirus. But still, the accompanying loaves are not brought. So now we've, there are four cases. We've just gone through the first two. Case one is Shalom. What's the case of Shalom? I'm sorry, the first case is Shalom. That's case number two in the Mishnah. That's case number two in the Mishnah. I will say, right? Which we just saw before. She goes ahead, Harini Nazira separates out. Karbanos, husband is made for the nether. Chatos dies. All those offered up as in the Dava. Shalom is offered up as in the Dava. No accompanying loaves. What's the second case? Shalom. What's that case? I will say, that's the case of a father ultimately who makes his son a Nazir, then separated out money for Karbanos, unless they specified the money, right? Chatas, Ola, Chatas, Ola, Shlamim, then the son objects, relatives object, the son takes the haircut, so there's no more Nazirus, the Karbanos are offered up, but without the accompanying laws. So we'll stop over here for today, we'll pick up Amir Hashem with the last two cases, Amir Hashem tomorrow, both